I'm Tommy Salmons. This is Year Zero. Before we get started today, just like to remind y'all I have a Substack. That's uh, TommySalmons.substack.com. Check it out. I'm trying to keep up, get a couple of things out every week, two to three articles or opinions or Last, last week I released a poem, sometimes it's a short story, sometimes it, I'm just putting out different types of information, different uh, packing, packaging it in different ways, just working on my craft as a writer. So give me some support there, tommysalmons.substack.com. That is T-O-M-M-Y-S-A-L-M-O-N-S at subst- or dot substack.com. Not at dot. Anyway, if you want to email me, it's T-O-M-M-Y-S-A-L-M-O-N-S at gmail.com. Or you can find me at Mayway or on Twitter at TD Salmons. Anyway, I don't really keep too close of track of Twitter, so eh, and with all the censorship, who cares? Today we have my buddy who's an attorney, Mr. Michael Harris, talking about the constitutionality or the constitutional repercussions of the raid on the Capitol building on January 6th. It's uh, something we've tried to record once before, and uh, it didn't work out. But we got it out as much as possible today. We had some internet problems, some connections issues, disconnected a couple of times. And uh, it might be a little choppy in places, but I think you'll get a lot out of this. Uh, Michael's always a lot of fun to talk to, so enjoy. Okay, take two. We're here with Michael Harris. What's going on, buddy? Uh, trying to, uh, you know, it's, as REM put it so well, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. <laughs> That's, it seems the, that seems to be a running theme with us. Um, yeah, so does talking about crazy legal shit and yeah. uh, all the... Oh, we can only imagine how many new laws and reforms are going to be written after the Trump administration. I can't imagine what's what's about to happen. Um, well, actually, and, it's going to be the legal opinions from the appellate court. Ultimately, that is going to be Donald Trump's greatest legacy is this wonderful collection of legal appellate opinions about the president of the United States. So, uh, you know, bar what? exam students for years will have a field day with this with all this well after we chatted yesterday i started thinking and uh we'll, we'll get we'll get to this part of the uh of the podcast because we'll definitely cover the same talking points we were chatting about yesterday but uh i was thinking maybe the best thing to come out of the trump presidency is uh is the checks that the courts put on the presidency during his term well, I mean, I think definitely at some point, the whole idea of having checks and balances, because I, I don't hide the fact that I feel like Congress has not been up to the job for the last 
70 years of being any kind of check and balance or not near enough of a check and balance on the president of the United States. Right. Most people don't. I'm, I'm old enough to remember the very, very tail end of the Vietnam War. Most people don't realize this, but America's involvement in Vietnam did not end until Congress just flat said, we're not funding. They just flat cut the funding altogether for Vietnam. And ultimately, I figure that's probably what's going to have to happen in Afghanistan, because I mean, why on earth are we still in Afghanistan for 19 years protecting opium crops or whatever the hell it is we're doing over there is beyond me. But irregardless. Well, uh, we did get the news last night that uh, Sheldon Adelson died um, last last that. night. Yeah. So that might, you know, as bad as it might be to say, that might be a benefit to ending some of these wars because he was dumping a lot of money into the United States government to keep them involved in uh in the middle east so we can only hope you know uh that 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 something good comes out of it and that they don't just replace them with someone who's worse well just remember that my former economics professor murray rothbard used to talk about uh if you really want to understand what's going on politically follow the money follow the money All right, so we want to we want to chat about the uh, insurrection, the insurgency, in, on the on the Capitol, like you know. And I'm kind of being a little hyperbolic there, because I don't, I still, I'm not positive that that's the way I view it. But so, as, as I had, you know, as I had relayed to you, part of the way I look at this, and I want to kind of give, start off with our our uh, our personal opinions on on the situation before we get into the you know, the con- what, what could be done legally and constitutionally. Um, but part of what I, what I look at here is you have a group of people that, you know, you have half the country for four years have been demonized. They've been called Nazis and racists and white supremacists and uh, deplorables. Um, when, when Obama was running for president, they were called bitter clingers. Um, and so you have these, this group of people who's had their jobs in these, in these, you know, small towns outsourced to these foreign countries. They, they looking into some sort of protectionism, some sort of way of maintaining their life. They're desperate. They're, they, they get locked down, locked in their homes. Um, they're out of money. Congress doesn't give them hardly anything, you know, pennies on the dollar with the $600 stimulus check. Um, to uh, after 10 months of being locked down and you know then then you have the the election which as as i've discussed many times did look shady as hell now i'm not convinced there was enough fraud or or anything that happened that would have changed the results but it did look crazy i mean the way they stopped counting and you know these are things that if you go back and you look at these investigations in foreign nations when they're investigating uh fraudulent elections there were some telltale signs in this election that are you know identical to the things they say you have to look look out for in in these foreign nations so no matter what was happening these people they see all these signs they have all this stuff going on they're being demonized constantly the 
the the thought leaders in the in the movement uh whether you agree with the thought leaders or not are getting you know kicked off of these media platforms and being totally shunned and demonized and they i mean as far as i'm concerned it's almost like what did you think was going to happen like how how long did you think you were going to be able to kick these people around and 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 not, not face any repercussions. And that's kind of my whole opinion on it. Not that I agree with what they did, but I do kind of have some sort of understanding as to how those motions can get to the, such a high level. Well, I definitely feel like uh, the mainstream media is basically just lied to us. They, they have a narrative that they push. And I feel like... For I never hid the fact that I felt like 2016, it was more that Hillary Clinton lost rather than Donald Trump won. But the mainstream media, they played a large part in the creation of Donald Trump. During the primaries in 2016, they gave Donald Trump an awful lot of free publicity. I think they did it for two reasons. Number one, he was great for ratings. And number two, I think they believed that of the Republican candidates, he would be the easiest one for Hillary Clinton to beat. So, yeah, I, I feel like the, the mainstream media has not uh, been giving us, giving us the full story, if not just out and out lying to us. Uh, I do feel like the, the people that I call the mean green uh, within the Democratic Party movement, they're, yeah, they basically, their attitude is, is that anybody who doesn't see things the way we do is evil and it's not you know, there's two points of view. There's ours and wrong ones. So, yeah. And I do feel like the uh, prolonged COVID lockdown played a part in the events as well. I, I heard this morning that the uh, uh, the woman that died that was an Air Force veteran came from California. And that uh, the report I heard this morning was is that she was quite upset by the prolonged lockdown in California. And I've heard from other people from California that it's, it's just gone off the rails that mm -hmm. uh, Governor Gavin Newsom mandating all these restaurants have had to shut down and couldn't even serve, you know, food, only do takeout. Yet he got caught in a real swanky, fancy, very expensive restaurant with no mask on. Right. I think people see that. Yeah. yeah it's kind of like, yeah, I, I think that. Uh, that played a part because I am quite surprised by the the number of people that spent their money to drive to Washington DC to be there at this event on January 6th and uh, my understanding is there's an organization called Women for America First exactly who they are and what their role was I don't know but I think it definitely needs to be investigating and who is funding them because my understanding is they were the really active ones in organizing and putting out the word and publicity and it's kind of like it's going to be wild it's going to be wild so who exactly are they and what they were involved now, yeah well i mean they were there I, I heard a, i i had never heard of them before you sent me the notes uh and and saying that that is definitely something you need to look at but there, there are other people too. Like every once in a while, maybe like once or twice a week, I'll just flip over on onto uh, Band Video and I'll check out and see what Alex Jones is saying. 
you know, because this is, this is, I, I listen to a little bit of everything. I listen to some progressives. I listen to, and I just kind of trying to get the, the temperature as to what they're, they're talking about, where they're coming from, where maybe their um, narratives aren't meeting or aren't, aren't lining up. And so he was, he was really pushing it too for quite a while for, for about a month. He was, he was, um, advertising it so there are a lot lot of those types of voices that are out there that have huge crowds that are pushing that were pushing um showing up um i'm actually a little surprised there weren't more people but i did hear it was it was something like i don't know like the week before the march or the rally or whatever you want to call it they um a lot of these airlines because they had limited so much of their traffic due to covid and they had they had uh limited the the amount of flights that were going out the airlines booked up you couldn't even fly to dc from um any any major city in the united states they had uh they had completely just like shut down the flights to dc because so many people were buying flights uh to dc so this was obviously you know um a, a last like call of of the unheard or a call of those desperate voices who maybe some of them were using their last dollars to go in and have their voices heard and what i find a little bit despicable about the whole situation is that during all of this and 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 with so much tension you had from november 3rd to January 6th. Okay. That's, that's two months. And during all of this, with the creation of so much tension and so many voices out there screaming and shouting, how did you not know that at least giving, you know, lip service to an investigation was probably smarter than just saying, no, you're all a bunch of conspiracy theorists. You know, like, like you're not even taking, you're talking about, it was something, I heard something like 60, per, 60 or 65% of, of, of Republican voters from last November believed that there, that there needed to be an investigation and that there, there was a major, uh, that there was major fraud. So you're talking about a vast majority uh, of Republicans, you're talking, what is that, about 50 some odd million people that were were fired up and amped up. And as a truck driver, a lot of times I don't spend a lot of time talking to other people in person about politics, but I always recognize when somebody is talking and I can't tell you how many times between November 3rd and January 6th, I heard some just average person explaining the constitutional process and what Trump can do to still win and why they need to do an investigation and where all this, uh, all the, you know, uh, affidavits that were signed and all these weird, you know, occurrences in the election. And I'm like, this isn't normal. Like you don't normally, I don't normally go around and hear a lot of people talking about these types of things that I'm paying attention to, but this was a big deal. And a lot of people believed that, the election was stolen and they were really upset. And I think at least paying lip service to it would have like kind of, you know, backed off a lot of the tensions. Well, I feel like people have every right to feel like, Hey, there might've been uh, something inappropriate and, 
you know, people can just feel like whatever they want to. Mm. Now, I don't think there's any doubt that this was an unusual election because of the whole pandemic led to an incredibly large number of mail-in voting. Absolutely. And it's, it's no massive secret that uh, mail-in voting is where you got the highest chance of uh, shenanigans going on. Mm -hmm. So now me personally, I voted early in Texas. I physically appeared at a polling station. I showed my Texas driver's license to certify that I am who I say I am. Uh, so I feel like my vote was appropriate. Now, right. I'm not real wild about the governor of Texas mandating that all mail-in ballots had to be dropped in only one box in every county. And like, you know, that sure looks like that's kind of like voter suppression in urban counties, sir. Like, you know, so to me, I wouldn't, I would be perfectly okay with saying that, Hey, you know what, you got to physically appear at an authorized polling station with a validly approved ID in order to vote. Right. I would be okay with that. But you and know, you know what you didn't hear in Texas and, and like, I, I, I get where you're coming from about like you, some of like Harris County is like a huge County. So I, I get where you're coming from. I, some of these counties are just massive and they're gigantic. And you're talking about people driving an hour and a half, two hours to go drop off a ballot in some cases. So I, I completely understand what your argument is, but the one thing you didn't hear about in in Texas is all these votes just suddenly appearing because they were already centralized. They were already in one place. So that, that might've been the, the thought process behind it. I don't know. I'm just saying, so that, that is a benefit of the way they did it. Well, also here in Texas, they allowed them to start counting the early ballots like mine before the day of the election. Right. Whereas my understanding is, is that in Pennsylvania and Georgia, they were not allowed by state law to start counting the early ballots until the day of the election. So that's that was what they're saying, Chris. Now, I'm not from Pennsylvania. I can't say anything about the, the election laws in Pennsylvania or Georgia. Uh, I will say this, that one of the journalists that I do respect is Megan Kelly, who was with Fox, was with NBC. I don't know if you want to call her a mainstream journalist anymore because she's kind of uh, parted company, but I do respect her. And I will also say when it comes to legal issues, Megan Kelly was a lawyer for a very prominent law firm called Jones Day. I started off in the mailroom of the Dallas branch of Jones Day. Okay, so I, mm -hmm. I know something about this law firm. They offered her a partner position so she's more than just a pretty face when it comes to uh, legal issues. She said that she has read all the pleadings relating to the uh, allegations of uh, fraudulent elections that were filed with the courts, many of them in front of judges that were appointed by Donald Trump. And the main thing that she has said was they don't allege any solid facts. Basically, it's just a whole lot of people felt like it was fraudulent. Right. Now, I, you know, the podcast that you and I did with uh, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton's lawsuit where the state of Texas sued Pennsylvania and three other states, that was my, I, I did read his pleadings in that case, and it was the same thing. They did not really allege any solid facts. Now, mm -hmm. 
I mean, I've, I've been reading probable cause affidavits in criminal cases for 20 years in the state of Texas. I mean, it's one thing for people to go on television and say, we feel this, we feel that. Uh, but it's something entirely different when you file an actual pleading with a court and put your name on it and swear under penalty of perjury to say, these are the facts that we are alleging. So, I mean, I've gotten criminal cases thrown out because officers say, well, I just felt like there was something wrong going on. Well, you feel whatever the hell you want to, but you have to kind of like articulate some facts and put it in a probable cause affidavit. Right. So that's the reason why I feel like, and also uh, I heard an interview of uh, former New Jersey governor, Chris Christie, who used to say he was a friend of Donald Trump. And he, he says that yes, while there was some uh, irregularities in this election, so just like there's irregularities in practically other in every other election, but he says that he doesn't see enough evidence that these irregularities led to enough to change the outcome in any one particular state. Right. You know, I heard him say that, uh, yeah, there were 10,000 votes in Pennsylvania that in his opinion should not have been counted for Joe Biden because they were postmarked past the appropriate date. He said, however, Joe Biden won Pennsylvania by way more than 10,000 votes. So even if you take away those 10,000 votes, it doesn't matter. Right. And, right. Uh, so yeah. I think, the, I think the bigger argument in Pennsylvania was, um, there was the way that they, they changed the mail-in ballot law. I think that was their, the main argument that was coming out of Pennsylvania that sounded like it had some teeth because the lower court judge actually said, this lawsuit has merit. So we're going to, we're going to send it up to the, uh, the Supreme court of the, uh, of, of Phil of Pennsylvania. Sorry. And when, when they got in front of that judge, that judge said, you should have filed this lawsuit earlier. And it was like, okay, I guess it, but when you discover something that is wrong, you know, if, if, if you didn't know it was wrong before you discovered it. And then by the time you discover it, they're saying, well, it's too late for you to file a lawsuit against it. Okay. I understand why people were, was, were upset about that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, Okay, you're not even looking at what their arguments are and what what they're, you know. So that you're 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 leaving this divide in the narrative where you have the left that can in the mainstream media they can say, well, the court case was thrown out, so there's nothing there, and the right saying, no, we were told there's merit. They just said that we filed the that the lawsuit was filed too late. So it's kind of like this weird, and you're never going to. That's a divide, like I said if you would have had like, and I think this was where, where you had like the, the Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz argument that made any sense was like, let's just investigate this because there, there are so many people that believe that this was fraudulent, that this could get really ugly, you know, if they lose all confidence in the institutions of the United States. So I think that's where the argument kind of made sense from the republican side on the other hand the way that they made that argument was was not probably it, it wasn't perfectly done and it was done very hyperbolically the right has begun to adopt a lot of the same tactics as the left 
And as, as a radical, I find it entertaining, but <laughs> I can well, understand. pointing out now, since you mentioned that, that Hillary Clinton tried to do the exact same thing in January, early January 2017 of uh, contesting and interfering with the formal electoral college certification. Scott Horton reported that Barack Obama was the one who told her, no, this is not going to happen on my watch. This is not the way my presidency is going to end. You either publicly concede the election or I'm going to burn you. So, and I, be yeah. I believe that, yeah, Hillary Clinton tried to do the exact same thing that Donald Trump did on January the 6th, as far as the whole interfering with the whole electoral college certification, right? which... You know, we still that's that's the, that's the sort of thing that made sense in 1780s. But it's kind of like now it's just really just a procedural formality. Right. And, uh, well, and well, and, and even in February of 2000, I think it was no, it was February of 2018, I believe it might have been 17, but I think it was 18. They were still there were still these left wing publications writing articles. Here's how Hillary Clinton can still become president. It's like you people are just crazy. Mm -hmm. You're just yeah. crazy. And then, you know, the whole Stacey Abrams um, was, you know, she went she's gone around ever since she lost the election in Georgia, saying that it was stolen from her. Al Gore still to this day says, you know, the election was stolen from him. So it's like it, this, this it's, it's almost to me, it's almost like the thing about Donald Trump giving these people a taste of their own medicine. To me, I find it quite entertaining. I'm kind of well, like, I mean, all right. Well, I mean, there's nothing new about uh, allegations of election fraud in American history. I mean, we've been alleging election fraud in presidential elections since 1800 which you know one of these days you ought to have me come on your show and do an hour-long talk about uh, the events from the alien sedition act through the election of 1800 between adams and uh, thomas jefferson all the way to marbury versus madison so yeah, they, we'll have they, to do that nothing new about that yeah uh, the thing that makes the events this week different I think is the whole thing about an insurrection. All right. right, right. Whatever it's worth. I've been for 20 years going into courtrooms and say, Hey, give the, the accused the benefit of a reasonable doubt. I'm not going to change my ways now just because it's Donald Trump. However, I do think the question ought to be raised and I think that it should be asked and it should be answered of was this, legally an insurrection and what part if any did donald trump play in it right so i yeah. think this should be raised well you let's uh you have your black's law dictionary right there i got it right here well let's you get that let's get that legal definition of insurrection so everybody is on the same page okay well according to black's law dictionary the definition of insurrection is a rebellion or a rising of citizens or subjects in resistance to their government. Insurrection consists of any combined resistance to the lawful authority of the state with the intent to cause the denial thereof when the same is manifest or intended to be manifest by acts of violence. 
it is a federal crime, repeat, it is a federal crime to incite, assist, or engage in a rebellion or insurrection against the United States of America. There is a penal code section it's, uh, that governs insurrection, that covers, that allows for a possible punishment range of up to 10 years in federal prison for yeah. engaging in insurrection. Now, okay, so go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say. So we had this this rally. the The amount of people has been estimated. I, I've heard numbers that range from two hundred thousand to over five hundred thousand people in DC. It wasn't all the people that went into the Capitol. So, like, what I want to focus on are the two hundred or so people that went into the building. So there were groups of people on one side of the building that were smashing windows, fighting with police and, and rushing into the building. There were groups on the other side of the building that were calmly being let into the building by the police. I would say that the, the people that were let into the building, it would be safe to say that was not an insurrection. They were walking between the velvet ropes. They were staying only where they were supposed to be. They weren't tearing things up. It was the other side of the building where there were all these problems. All right. And this is where they ended up getting into Nancy Pelosi's office. They were, you know, in the house chamber. And um, there were a couple of journalists that were following around. Um, I know Elijah Schaefer was one of the journalists and uh, Richie McGinnis was another one that were following these groups around and filming them and, and giving updates on Twitter as to what was going on. So would you consider that group of people that, that fought the police and busted their way into the Capitol and uh, legally an insurrection, at least by the law dictionary? Well, I mean, classic lawyer, I can make an argument both ways. Okay. okay. So, so uh, you can I indict can, a ham sandwich. Yeah. So basically, I mean, I'm, I, if you want me to play prosecutor, yeah, I could present. I will say this as uh, someone who studied constitutional history, was a history major in college, that uh, we have had presidents declare insurrections under the Insurrection Act of 1707 for far less. Uh, the most notorious case that I'm aware of was the, uh, the, the what was called the Bonus Army in July of 1932. Mm -hmm. That was a case where the, the Great Depression hit. The federal government had promised uh, World War I veterans that they would pay a bonus for their military service. And so all these veterans were suddenly homeless because of the depression. They gathered together outside Washington, D.C. with their wives and their children. They set up tents demanding their bonuses that were promised them by the government. And uh, President Hoover, Herbert Hoover declared them to be an insurrection and sent in the army bayonets fixed to drive them out. Yeah. So, okay, so to me, if you're going to if you're going to call that an insurrection, <laughs> I mean that's pretty obvious. That that sets the bar pretty low, in my opinion. It it really does. Yes, you're right. You're right about that. Yeah, but I, on the other hand, as a defense lawyer, I could say that hey, this was just a political protest that got out of hand. 
that uh, I mean, I think you'd have to admit there was some rioting going on, but a rioting, a political protest that got out of hand does not necessarily mean an erection, uh, an insurrection. Uh, I think the key fact is going to be just how much force was used. Uh, I did not see like AR-15s being carried, that sort of thing. I did now, see video one, of. I'm sorry. Go I'm going to say I did see somebody walking around with a large number of double loop zip ties that you used to kind of improvise handcuff people. Right. And kind of like, gee, buddy, what were you planning on doing with those? All right. Like <laughs> that, right. Uh, that, that's something wasn't odd about that. So, yeah, well, well there I, was something I, odd about that. And just like, just to be clear, like that we're not trying to judge like just your average protester or, or even the people that ended up in the building there there is a history of of the united states um whether it's fbi or law enforcement going undercover into these types of rallies and engaging with the rioters and in some cases prov provoking riots and so it's very possible that you will find out that there was some of that going on so i'm not really sure who the people with the zip ties were i did see the picture you're talking about uh, but I'm, I'm not per, I'm not positive who they were. Um, what I would what I would be curious about. Well, oh, we were talking about weapons. They, there were no AR-15s or anything like that. Yeah, the 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 officer that was assaulted, he was assaulted with um, a fire extinguisher, um, and they were. It looked like I couldn't tell what they were hitting the windows with. Um, I couldn't tell if they were crowbars or pry bars of some sort. I, I couldn't tell what that was that they were hitting the windows with. Uh, to break the windows to get in yeah that uh, but also i think the events before that i mean i heard a video clip of rudy giuliani talking about we're going to have trial by combat and i'm like what uh, that's like uh rudy that's kind of like been illegal for 300 years like <laughs> and I, I was reading this morning that there's actually talk that the state of new york may disbar rudy giuliani for that comment that, so. that that would not be um out of line at all i and you and you hadn't mentioned that comment to me and i hadn't i hadn't heard that comment before you had mentioned it to me the one thing that they're focusing on that the media is focusing on as they always do is orange man in the comments oh, oh, oh yeah the imperial clown donald trump he's he's great for tv there's just no no denying the fact that that man is just so he is made for tv yeah now to me, the, the question, I, I got a report from, uh, and she's a leftist, this be up front, uh, but she is deeply involved as a lawyer in uh, defendants' rights and criminal cases. So I, I know of her through that. I mean, she lives in Washington, D.C. She has made, actually made uh, appearances on behalf of uh, accused people in federal courts. She was reporting that the National Guard was not called out. And it's important for your listeners to keep in mind that Washington, D.C. is just an, an odd critter. Mm -hmm. I mean, ordinarily, a, a city chief of police can call the governor to call out a National Guard when things start getting out of hand. But because Washington, D.C. is not part of any state, there's no governor 
you can't call the governor of Virginia and say, hey, send us National Guard. The chief of police and Capitol Police chief can't call up the governor of Maryland and say, hey, send us National Guard. Uh, my understanding, and I could be shown wrong about this, that basically there's only one person who can call out the National Guard inside Washington, D.C., and guess who that one person is? That would be the president. The president of the United States. It's my now, understanding as well. So that that is where Donald Trump could really, if I was a defense lawyer for Donald Trump, which I would never work for the Donald Trump, because I've been told from sources that the man doesn't take your advice as a lawyer and he doesn't pay his fee when the case is over. So I got enough of that already. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like, hey, that's that could definitely come back to haunt him. Because, I mean, it, it, it has been reported that the uh, the chief of the Capitol Police did call see that things were getting out of hand, called for the National Guard. It's reported that some general in the Pentagon told him that, no, we don't want to send the National Guard because we don't, we're afraid of the optics. And it's yeah. like, uh, excuse me, but you had no problems with the optics last summer of using military to drive off peaceful protesters so Donald Trump could be shown holding up a Bible in front of a church. Okay, so that uh, that doesn't pass the smell test in Michael's book. Well, um, here's what I here's what I kind of think. And I, I think that Donald Trump, is, as much as people were calling on him to use the Insurrection Act last year during all the riots and looting, um, and he wouldn't do it, even with the Chaz situation uh, there in Seattle. And he 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 wouldn't do it on the 6th. And I think it's because he's already been labeled an authoritarian. And I mean, you even look at his COVID response and he was it was very decentralized. He left a lot of it up to the states. He didn't want to overreach. And I think he was he's very aware of his image and the way he's looked at and you know, as, as we've both pointed out several times, he's a narcissist and he just wants everybody to like him. And so in a situation like this, there's no winning. And yeah, he could have very easily called out the National Guard. On the other hand, in the days leading up to the, the rally, uh, Cong it was requested of Congress by the chief of the Capitol Police that they have more uh capital police on site and it was denied six times so there's some culpability there too so i don't want anybody to think that we're just focusing on the wrongs of donald trump there there's couple there's plenty of blame to go around for all of this and i i think we both agree on that well i think it uh like i said the report i got from this and like i said she's a leftist so be right. aware that where she's coming from her version is is that the, the 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 chief of the Capitol police called out for the National Guard that basically Donald Trump just totally did not respond at all to right. the call uh, for the call of the National Guard and ultimately it was somebody in the Defense Department who said that uh, you know we got to have somebody who's an elected official to call out military to, to use against citizens in uh, Washington, D.C. So the report she made was from her sources that this person 
in, uh, in the Defense Department called Mike Pence, uh, who was in as part of this whole ceremonial certification thing mm -hmm. and asked him to authorize sending in the National Guard. Yeah. I mean, if that, if that story holds up, that, that definitely looks bad for Donald Trump. Oh, absolutely. And, and so like, since we're on the Trump topic, I want to get into uh, the, uh, the legality of everything that's going on around him because of all these actions. Um, Nancy Pelosi gave Mike Pence an ultimatum, either, you know, go forward with the 25th amendment and remove Donald Trump or, um, or we're going to move forward with articles of impeachment. Uh, Mike Pence basically put him, uh, Nancy Pelosi on hold for 25 minutes and then uh, refused to take the call. So I think Mike Pence has made himself pretty clear that he's not even entertaining the idea of the 25th Amendment and going in that direction. Then uh, I think your listeners should know about what the 25th Amendment is in case they're not constitutional scholars. I mean, it's come in uh, several movies. Basically, the 25th Amendment got approved after the uh, John F. Kennedy assassination. And basically, it's intended for when the president is physically unable to perform the duties of president, the vice president and a certain number of cabinet members or just the majority of cabinet members can come together and go through a certification process for the vice president to act and perform the duties of president. Because the mm. constitution is set up that if the president dies, the vice president becomes president. Well, kind of like the question after Kennedy assassination is say that uh, Kennedy was laying in a coma with the head wound in Parkland Hospital in Dallas for God only knows how long. There was a, a, a process, uh, I think it has been invoked before when uh, the president had to go through like a medical procedure before, but uh, it really kind of smacks on a legalized coup yeah. to, uh, to do formal, do the formal 25th amendment. And uh, well, well, especially in this case, because Donald Trump is in no way incapacitated. Oh, no, that's to me. I mean, yeah, he's a narcissist. He's a textbook example of narcissistic personality disorder, but he's fully capable of. Uh, I don't see any signs or evidence that he's incapacitated as intended by the 25th Amendment. Now, another idea that has been. Uh, thrown out there is what they call a soft 25th. That's where instead of going through the formality of uh, calling and invoking 25th, basically that's where the people kind of like in the deep state just act as if it has been invoked. Okay. Right. So to me, that, that sounds even more dangerous to me, which, right. well, and I grant people, you, I, I would like to see there's somebody in the, the, military just kind of like not going to let Donald Trump suddenly start a war with Iran in the next 10 days. Uh, <laughs> to me, kind of like a bunch of unelected bureaucrats uh, just suddenly deciding that we're just all going to agree we're going to ignore the president. That sounds awful dangerous to me. Here, so, uh, all right. Okay. Wait, okay uh, so yeah. this was um, the, the, the soft coup was or not soft coup, the soft 25th, a lot of people were accusing Nancy Pelosi of going, of trying to institute a coup. And she had gone to the Pentagon officials 
uh, the Joint Chiefs in the Pentagon and asked them to stop paying attention to um, any orders coming from the president. So this was what the news stories and that a lot of the narrative was going around for the last couple of days that Nancy Pelosi was trying to uh, institute a coup. But am I mistaken? I put it past her. Am, am I mistaken that um, if they do institute the 25th Amendment, Donald Trump could actually technically run for office again if they remove him based on the 25th yes. Amendment? Yes. Yeah, that basically that just uh, removes him from the duties of physically being performing the duty. But there's absolutely nothing with that that would prevent him from running for president again or for some other office. Uh, which is why I think this time there should be uh, a, an article of impeachment filed with the House of Representatives. And I think that the Senate should have to go and decide was this or was not this an insurrection. Yeah, so basically I, I think that this, the Senate should decide. And uh, I think it'd be kind of interesting because here the senators had performed a, 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 their version of a high school active shooter drill all of a sudden. So that could be uh, interesting legal arguments to make there. But yeah. the effect that would have is, and to me, the mainstream me media and Democrats are totally missing out on this, is it's uh, uh, the 14th Amendment. Section three of the 14th Amendment was something that uh, got enacted after the Civil War. And it says that if you take an oath to uphold the Constitution and you later are involved in a rebellion or insurrection, you could permanently be barred from holding public office. So he couldn't even be like an ambassador to, you know, Russia or something like that. And okay, so that so, a much bigger impact. My my question on that would be: Do they, when when they're when the, when the Senate takes up this, um, if, if the Senate took up the Articles of Impeachment and they were looking at removing them based upon the Fourteenth Amendment, which kind of I kind of see as just pointless here with like what eight nine days left in his term, but whatever. Um, they're just trying to make an example out of him. Um, but if they did that, do they have to prove, is it like a court courtroom? Is it like you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he's guilty of this? Because from the, from the audio, from the speech he gave that day, I mean, when he's talking to his supporters, he's not inciting violence. He's, he's specifically talking, let's walk down there to the Capitol, cheer on, you know, the Congress. Um, some of them we won't be cheering for, but but there's the others we'll be cheering for. Let's go down there. We can't be, we can't be weak. We have to be strong and, and our, uh, and stand up for what's right. So let's go down there peacefully, uh, as Patriots and, and, and cheer them on like that to well, me I doesn't hear I mean, I didn't hear his speech. Okay. So I've only heard excerpts of it. I didn't hear anything about being peaceful, uh, well, that's how he ends. I'll find you the transcript after this. That's okay, how he okay. ends that paragraph. He says, we can't be weak. We have to be strong. Let's go down there peacefully and as patriots. That's how he ends that, that, that paragraph. Like I know the New York Times and Washington Post have left that last sentence out, but he did say that. 
Well, now, first of all, I mean, let's be clear. I, th I think the Democrats really did a disservice the first time they impeached Donald Trump. They it was solely political theater. It's uh, yeah, we're impeaching him because we don't like him and we're the majority votes in the House. And we want to be able to brag about the fact he got impeached when they they knew that there was absolutely no chance that the Republicans in the Senate were going to go along with it. So, yeah, I, I feel like they did a real disservice the first well, time they had they to impeach Donald Trump. They, they had to impeach I, Donald Trump the first time because he was looking at corruption that all of these people, uh, the, the, the types of corruption that all these people are 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 uh, engaged in. And he was looking at putting at, at Joe Biden's corruption. And this was prior to Joe Biden announcing that he was going to run for president. And even Obama said after the fact, before Biden announced that he shouldn't he shouldn't run. But Biden announced and, and Obama was like, you don't have to do this. But he was looking into the typical Washington establishment corruption and and they couldn't have it. They couldn't allow him to go through with with investigating senators and vice presidents that are involved in benefiting their family members in foreign exploits. He just they can't allow that because they're all doing it. Oh, there's a lot. There's plenty of, uh, and I call it dark money going around of, you know, where is this coming from? Who's getting it and so forth. Right. But to me, this is the first time they, they knew the Democrats knew there was no way that the Republican controlled Senate was going to go along with it. And yeah. to me, whereas this time, and the fact that it's so late in his term and he's going to be out of office anyway, there's been precedent before of uh, pursuing, continuing to pursue things after, after that are going to take effect after. Cause like I said, the thing is, if he is formally found by two thirds of the senators to have been engaged in an insurrection that would bar him from ever serving in public office again. And the real question I have is what kind of effect would it have on these people that are blatantly pandering to Donald Trump supporters like, uh, I know that the ones I know the best are the congressman from my congressional district, Lance Gooden, and the two senators, Ted Cruz and John Cornyn. Mm -hmm. I don't I've seen absolutely nothing that John Cornyn has done that has anything to do with it. Now, Ted Cruz, I feel like he's just I think Ted Cruz is planning on running for president in 2024. I think that's very obvious that he's pandering to Donald Trump's voters and base, hoping to win their favor. Uh, now, Lance Gooden, I have plenty of problems with Lance Gooden as well, even though previously I did vote for both Ted Cruz and Lance Gooden. That was not too proud of that right at this point in time, but that's, <laughs> you know, neither here nor there. You live your life. Uh, to me, what, yeah, you live and learn, which at the time I felt like they were the lesser of evils. Okay. Now, to me, I, I will say that in my district, the majority of people are Donald Trump supporters. But to me, Lance Gooden is just basically bragging about the fact that he's Donald Trump's little sock puppets. And, you know, he, he does this at taxpayer expense, which really irks me. So, I, I don't like that. And I don't, I don't deny that I don't like that. So yeah. to me having it, and like I said, I think just for future, it ought to be just addressed really. Okay. 
was this legally an insurrection and what part did Donald Trump play in it? And I, I personally think the hard part is he's going to have to explain is, is where, where, you know, at what point was the national guard called out? So if they, if they can show the technical term, legal term is affirmative links. If they can show affirmative links that, uh, they requested to call out the National Guard and he deliberately did not call out the National Guard. That looks awful bad for Donald Trump. At mm. this time, I can't say. I right. cannot say whether that's what happened or that did not happen. So but I so think that, that should be asked. In a situation like that, okay, that's that that wouldn't be considered inciting, but is that um, basically like participating in some way shape or form giving cover to like you know aiding and abetting like how would how would that how would a charge like that come down on him well i mean the fact that uh, it was the executive branch versus the legislative branch now i'm not one of these people that considers the halls of congress to be the temple of democracy as is portrayed by uh, you know so many people <laughs> But uh, I think you have to kind of like say, hey, this this could be seen as the executive basically sending a mob to take over and run off the legislative branch. And uh, that's I've never been aware of that in American history, but I can I can see that uh, from my study of the founders that would not go over very well with uh because, you know, in my study of history, I think it's very obvious that uh, the man they had in mind when they draft, when they created the position of the president of the United States was George Washington. I think they everybody knew George Washington was going to be the first president of the United States. Now, uh, uh, like I said, when you talk, it comes to the founding of the Constitution, let's be clear, it was basically 75, you know, roughly 70 white male property owners meeting in private <laughs> that created the constitution. Uh, yet, I mean, when I became a lawyer, I took an oath to uphold and defend the constitution. That oath meant something to me. I can't speak for every other lawyer out there, mm -hmm. but uh, it, it creates, uh, I, I think the fact that it's, the the president sending a mob to take on uh, Congress that definitely raises a lot of issues. No, I, I think you're right, and I think by reaching back to original intent of the Constitution, we can really find out how it should have been handled, and there absolutely should have been a duel. That's my opinion. A duel? Yeah, a duel. They should have had a duel. Okay, <laughs> who's not a Biden, yeah, have Donald Biden, Trump dual Nancy Pelosi. Hey, no, I want to see Biden and Trump in a cage match. I honestly do. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, Donald Trump would have his limo drivers fight him. I mean, come on, Donald Trump is all but you no. Know, he's he he, he 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 reminds me of those guys in high school that uh, ran around like you ought to go get him. You ought to do this. You ought to do that. And then basically it's kind of like uh you know he encouraged other people to fight and was real good at talking trash to other people but uh, you know <laughs> not, not, the, not the joe biden is obviously past his prime so you know <laughs> now joe biden is somebody we may want to think about invoking the 25th amendment on so don't don't be surprised if you see that happen in the next four years oh i won't Sorry. be 
I won't be. I, I think I think Joe Biden's going to get in there and um I think they are going to want they're going to use his mental decline against him and they're going to try to get him to step down and he's going to ref- and if he refuses they will invoke the 25th. I think that's what I think that's what Nancy Pelosi was posturing about in August in in drawing up a council uh, about the 25th amendment. I don't think it had anything to do with Donald Trump. I think it had to do with Joe Biden. Well, the thing is, is it the, to the best of my knowledge, the only time it's been invoked is when a, ten, a president had a, uh, uh, a medical procedure. Right. And it was only intended to be jail you know, just in case the president slips into a coma. We're ready in case the Russians launch nuclear weapons or whatever. So, uh, I mean, yeah. Is- is there any evidence that Joe Biden isn't in a coma? Well, I mean, I, I would say he's he doesn't have his cognitive fastball anymore. Yet, uh, <laughs> I also I question whether Donald Trump ever even had one. So <laughs> I'll take that for what it. <laughs> no, I, I think I, I look at Donald Trump. He's more of a knuckleball pitcher. Uh, yep. Yep. That's, that's definitely, he's, he's actually, I've heard that when he was young, he was actually a pretty darn good baseball player for whatever that's worth. So, oh, well, but, uh, yeah. all American pastime. Yeah, I have heard that. Make him King for life. Well, <laughs> well, I don't know if you're aware of that, but actually, actually that was Alexander Hamilton's idea for the president that the president would basically be a, an elected King mm-hmm. that would serve their entire life. And that basically he joined, he wanted George Washington to be the elected king until George Washington died. And it's pretty obvious who Alexander Hamilton had in mind for uh, the second elected king for life. And it's uh, widely believed that actually the people who wrote the Constitution made the provision that the president had to be a native born American specifically to keep Alexander Hamilton <laughs> from becoming president. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. It, you know, you know, one of the things that, that I find I find really interesting is um, the is 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 the way that the the Congress has handled the entire Trump presidency and how the the establishment has kind of. I don't, I don't know how to put it exactly. I had it on the tip of my tongue and now I'm kind of like struggling with it. But the, but the, the way that the establishment has kind of, especially on the Republican side, like, like you said, John Cornyn is being awful quiet. It's like they kind of walk that line like really well. You know, even, uh, even Lindsey Graham and, you know, to a lesser extent, John McCain, but he did kind of walk that line at the beginning before he just, gave up on Trump, but that, that establishment, it's like, they're doing everything they can to maintain that respectability about them. And there has never been any illusion that Donald Trump does not care about, about the uh, aesthetics of, of the politicians or politics or, or the office of the president. He only cares about his image. Which, which, but it's kind of a, it's, it's just an interesting dynamic watching it all play side by side. Yeah, I've heard that John McCain's widow 
was actively recruiting Republicans not to vote for Donald Trump in Arizona. And he probably, they probably carried quite a bit of weight in his Arizona. So I wouldn't rule out the fact that Donald Trump lost Arizona solely because of uh, what went on between him and John McCain. Anyway, I would not rule that out. Sorry, and, sorry. The thought came, thought, thought came back to my mind why I wanted to draw that parallel and, and, and show that dynamic. I'm sorry. It was like, I don't know why it just, jumped jumped out of my mind as soon as i started speaking um what i was what i was trying to get at though was if they are able to to get the articles of impeachment to the senate and they drag it through beyond like the amount of time that donald trump is in is in the presidency in order to assure that he's never able to run for office again which by the way i don't think he ever would anyway i think um i think he's all bluster and that that's about it but in order to be assured, assure that he has no influence or ability to run for office ever again, and they, they run it through, I would not be surprised if especially like on his exiting the day before he's out of office, um, on the 20th, you know, on the day that Biden is inaugurated, I would not be surprised if the Republican establishment just jumps on board with the Democratic establishment and does give that two thirds of a vote. I would not be surprised either. I think it's a thing that uh, the Republicans, the Republican establishment, I call them the red tribe, the red tribe, right. blue tribe. And they, they, they want Donald Trump's supporters. They don't want Donald Trump. And I think the, uh, the loss of the two Senate seats in Georgia showed them that, uh, Hey, we can't depend on this guy. Cause I mean, first of all, I don't know if you know anything about that Senator Kelly Leffler, that uh, she was appointed by the governor to fill out somebody else's term. I, I don't know who off the top of my head. She kind of strikes me as being like a rich man's trophy wife. So <laughs> I, I, the one interview I saw of her, I was extremely unimpressed with her. And uh, multiple reports that uh, when Congress first found out about the COVID-19 virus, the first thing she did was contact her personal stockbroker and sell off all her stocks before the stock market went down. So kind of like, Hey, great public service act there, honey. You know, like that, that sure looks an awful lot like insider trading to me. Right. But to me, she's a lousy candidate. Uh, so I don't know why on earth I, the governor picked I, her, I, I guess her husband, had a lot of money. Yeah. So, but I'm going to disagree that, with that. That's we don't had, I'm going to disagree with you because we had talked about her yesterday and I looked it up and she was the one I was thinking of. She was one of like something like 60 candidates that had primaried Republicans that were QAnon supporters. And the more QAnon supporters in, in D.C., the better, if you ask me. Well, little, little I know about QAnon, basically it's kind of, kind of like the idea of a, uh, a child sex ring run by elites it's kind of like jeffrey epstein look i mean it looks like they made they're claiming that jeffrey epstein was kind of like the leader of it and 
I'm sorry, but Donald Trump had an awful lot of connections to Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> I, I still, I still to this day believe that uh, somebody got to Jeffrey Epstein. He did not commit suicide. Now, whether that somebody was connected to Donald Trump or Bill Clinton or William Prince Bob. Andrew, that I don't know. Or, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think the truth has been hidden about that. But it's kind of like, hey, Donald, Donald Trump had Donald Trump was running around in the same circles as Bill and Hillary Clinton. You can go on the internet and go uh, photos of the Clinton at Donald Trump's wedding and see how palsy they were. Oh yeah. Donald Trump, when, when Hillary Clinton ran as Senator for New York, Donald Trump was one of her biggest contributors. Uh, I have heard reports that it was actually Bill Clinton who encouraged Donald Trump to run for president as a Republican thinking that Hillary he would be the easiest one for Hillary to beat. Yeah. So, yeah, that that uh, like says I I know very little about Georgia. I don't keep up a whole lot with Georgia senators. But like says to me, I, I thought Kelly Loeffler was a lousy candidate. Well, and my my argument for wanting as many QAnon supporters in in DC as possible is because if you think if you think Donald Trump has been absurd for the last four years. Wait until you hear these people. They are as absurd as absurd gets. And it would just make for the greatest show on earth to watch Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez go to get up and debate a QAnon supporter. That's what I want. That's my dream. Well, I'm not, I'm not near as fond of the idea of continuing to keep our government as a bad reality tv show <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, i've actually got to appear in courts in front of judges and things yeah i've just i've not. gotten addicted to the absurdity i've gotten addicted to the absurdity i i, I can't help it I, it's just the entertainment is non-stop and it just keeps it keeps coming well, there's no doubt that the Donald Trump presidency was made for TV. Okay. So you know, for better or for worse. I mean, I, my opinion, I think it's for the worse, but yeah. uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, I, to me, the whole system is gone. In my opinion, <coughs> I hide the fact that I think that the United States has become an empire, not mm -hmm. a Republic. And I, I don't see how it can continue to go the way it's going. I don't I mean, either. I think at some point something is going to break. I think we got close to 800 foreign military bases. Like, why? Well, what's that about? We got like military. We talk about now Russia is this massive threat. So we have to have this massive military presence in Germany. It's kind of like, excuse me, but Germany can could do a plenty good enough job of defending itself. And why is it that Germany's only spending 1% of their gross domestic product on military if, yeah. if Russia is such a massive threat? Right. And I've been appointed to represent people who served in Afghanistan. And they, they've told me that blatantly they were told, make, make sure that nobody messes with the opium fields. Yeah. They're like, is that what we're doing there for 19 years, protecting opium crops? Uh, uh, it, it, I mean, you, you look at the, the timeline and, and the linear fashion in which the opium epidemic hit the United States and the war in Afghanistan took place. You know, I mean, correlation is not always causation, but sometimes, you know, 
Well, I will say this. The area where I am truly am disappointed with Donald Trump is the not ending the foreign wars. Yes. Now, his uh, his defenders kind of like, well, he didn't start any new wars. Well, he him, him, John Bolton and Mike Pompeo sure tried their darndest to start a war with Iran. OK, but uh, he hasn't ended any of these foreign wars. And that's where I truly am disappointed in Donald Trump, because I figured he would look upon him kind of like as a bad business deal and want to cut his losses. Yep. But I, I think the, what former CIA agent Ray McGovern refers to as the Mickey Mats, And I think he's dead on when he talks about that. And so I think those people got to Donald Trump and kind of like, you don't want to look weak, do you? Uh, and they, they knew how to push his buttons to keep the, the, the foreign wars going. Yeah. Well, and even on, even on the occasion that he did, you know, finally put his foot down and say, okay, we're getting our troops out of Syria and we're moving them over to the, to, to Western Iraq or whatever. And they would just, they just lied. I mean, we had, the uh, former ambassador to Syria, uh, Jim, uh, Jim Jeffrey, come, come uh, retire recently and admitted in an interview on Defense One, yeah, we just lied to him. We told him that they weren't that there were less troops there than there were, so we could keep a presence there. I don't doubt it. Yeah, I, well, I mean, well, and that, and that's part of that was part of the, one of the Donald Trump's biggest flaws. And Scott's talked about it. I've, I've talked about it. Um, I know Dave Smith has talked about it. He was not interested in doing the studying. He was not interested in the reading. He was not interested in all the details, you know, and, and that he 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 ma he he manages from a macro position. He's looking across the scale and he's just like, OK, I'm delegating y'all over there. This is what I want to happen over there. I'm delegating y'all over there. This is what I want to happen over there. And he has no idea of the actual detailed information on the ground of what's going on, especially in these foreign conflicts. So therefore, they were easily able to deceive him. And, and continue the presence in Syria without him even being aware of it. Well, I think he ex acts exactly like somebody who spent his entire life working uh, for a family-owned real estate mogul. <laughs> uh, he's used to, he, he, he never had to an even answer to stockholders. Uh, basically, he's used to, you know, go build a building over there and have somebody do it. Uh, but as far as him actually having to like roll up his sleeves and shovel dirt, no, he had no clue how to do that. Right. He's yeah. So yeah, he could tell people, you know, put my name on this building. That's no problem. He is the absolute master of what we legally refer to as puffery of, you know, I've got the greatest office building on this street i've got the greatest apartment complex on that street and i've got the most spectacular casinos i mean all that works great when you're a real estate mogul and uh the whole thing of you know work out these business deals in the last minutes like oh that i decided that deal is no good we got to renegotiate that deal well that works when you're doing real estate in new york city that does not work when you're dealing with congress right. uh I think right. to this day, he does not acknowledge that Congress is a co-equal branch of government. <laughs> I think yeah, well, he, 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 looks at, he looks at the government as a, as a corporation and that's how he, that's how he operated. 
Um, I didn't think so much as a corporation as a family business. I, th- I think he he ran, he tried to run the uh, the executive branch as if it was a family business. Yeah. He brought in his daughter. He brought in his son-in-law to uh, you know to run things. And uh, oh, by the way, it wasn't reported that his son-in-law Jared Kushner, when the uh, the pandemic hit, what did Jared Kushner do? He sent protective equipment to Israel. <laughs> so our stockpile, I don't know, that that was not reported conveniently, even by the mainstream media or the Democrats that Jared Kushner well, nah, sent. Uh, nobody's going to report on Israel in that manner. So, it, oh, yeah, yeah. they safe sides, doing that. Those, uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that's kind of, kind of like the Iraq. Israel was sitting back looking at the election between Joe Biden and Donald Trump and like, okay, we're good. Yeah, you whatever. Know, whoever, whoever, whoever wins this one, we're we're set. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just keep that uh, keep the keep the crazy Somalian out of there, and we'll be all right. Yeah, <laughs> but um, all right, man. Well, you got anything? Uh, any final comments on you know the possibility of the uh of impeachment or the the insurrection or any anything else? Uh, how you look at it and what you what you're what you're thinking we're going to see going forward. Well, like I said, the whole thing about uh, the calling out the National Guard, that is what I have really got my eye out on, that uh, if they did try to call out the National Guard and Donald Trump refused to do it, that is that could really be a crucial fact to be on the lookout for. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to get on the road. I got a... Got about five more hours of driving to do, so. All right, that was Michael Harris. I'm Tommy Salmons. Late.